0: Anyway, it's amazing to be here. I don't, I don't get up here as much as I'd love to be, but uh, it's great to be here. I'm going to continue the series today on Galatians. So if you've got a Bible, grab a Bible. We'll start on the Bible. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it will come up on the screen behind me. So turn to Galatians 5. Okay, and we're going to start at verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. um, series. So far, if you've been following the series, if you're here for the first time today, then the last few weeks as a church, you should know that we've been looking at this letter to the church in, in Galatia that Paul wrote uh, many years ago now. And we've had a series where James started the series. He talked about how that it is Jesus that sets us free and Jesus alone. That it's not Jesus plus anything else that sets us free, just Jesus. Paul continued the series where he talked about what it is to live free that we never graduate the gospel, that the way in is the way on. And then Ian would have continued the series here the week after, that talked about that, how our freedom comes from when we step into our gospel identity, as sons, not slaves, our gospel identity. And then James last week was talking about how we've been set free from so many things, and we've been set free to love. And the whole theme of this delation series has been about, has been about freedom, about a life set free. So this week we're gonna look at that question, so what does it actually look like to live a life of freedom? What does that look like? And what clues do we get in this, in this passage? Well, the bottom line with this passage is essentially this, that a free life is a fruitful life. A free life is a fruitful life. You will know that you are living a life of freedom if you are living your life bearing fruit. You will know that you are living your life of freedom if you are not living in sin, but instead bearing fruit. So this morning it might be a good chance to ask yourself that question. If you haven't asked yourself that question yet, about, you know, as we've done this series about living free, are, are you? Are you living free? Maybe you're not sure about that. Maybe you're not sure what that would look like. Maybe you're not sure what that would feel like. Well, this passage in the Bible gives us some really really good clues. It's almost like a checklist. It's a helpful guide. How how am I getting on? How do I match up to what this passage is talking about? Well, let me put it another way. How are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a church? Don't email me. I don't want to know. (laughs) That's a very dangerous question to ask, isn't it? Email James. that. Uh, how are we doing as a church? How do, you, how do you measure a church? What are the key indicators? What's really going on? Well, I heard someone last week, I was at the National Leaders Conference last week, one of the speakers joked about how in America, particularly with the mega churches over there, one of the ways they measure churches, is the four Bs, four Bs, it was butts, budgets, buildings, and buzz. <laughs> I think it sounded better with an American accent. But anyway... <laughs> Buzz was, you know, how many people are actually coming, sitting in the seats. Budgets was basically what's in the bank account. Buildings, you know, how, how's your real estate, how's that looking? And buzz was, you know, how many retweets, and, you know, how many shares, all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, that's how, like, almost a classic way, it's almost a business model, isn't it, for assessing your church. But it wouldn't really tell the whole story, would it? If you're thinking about vineyard here in Cardiff. Would that tell the whole story? I thought of a fifth B that you could ha- add in, which I thought would be helpful, which was baptisms. Which I thought, you know, that would be great. And we love it. We just love it when people say yes to Jesus. I'm in incre- a personal level. I was so excited to hear the news this week that here in the north is going to be a first baptism service coming up. That is just wonderful. Something to, you know, people say yes to Jesus. They make that outward declaration. Something to look forward to, something to celebrate. But even that doesn't tell the whole story. Baptisms is what we also care deeply about here in Vineyard is that we want to be a people, we want to be a tribe, we want to be a family who are abiding in Jesus. We are abiding in Jesus, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and that our lives are being continuously transformed. We want to be a Galatians 5 community. We want to be a Galatians 5 church. We want to be, when people look at us, a Galatians 5 people. So we experience, yes, all that stuff I just talked about, lots of people coming, hopefully the finances are good, and even the, hopefully people are getting baptised, fantastic. But we also want to exist because we want to see people going on that journey over months and years of experiencing breakthroughs, being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, growing in spiritual maturity, growing in their emotional health, and living in more and more freedom. Let me uh, give you an example of this. Just, just a few weeks ago, uh, Alice, my wife, um, was chatting to someone uh, at the end of church. Uh, it was a lady, I won't go into all the details and I'll keep it anonymous, but it was a lady in her mid 60s who'd been following Jesus for about 30 years. And she shared with Alice something that just literally in the last few weeks, she'd had this huge, huge breakthrough. A spiritual stronghold in her life had kind of just been smashed. The power of the Holy Spirit, and she suddenly felt just totally free. It was linked, it was a family thing, it was linked to parents. Like I say, I won't go into all the details, but it was obviously just a pivotal moment in her life. Wonderful, this new sense of freedom. We celebrate that. We celebrate that as much as we celebrate people getting baptized or people coming to church for the first time. All of them. It's not better or worse, but we celebrate all of this. We celebrate that as a people, as a Galatians 5 church. In my own life, in the last little while, I've... Um, 2019 was a year for me of really deep, quite spiritual kind of transformation, and it went really deep in terms of I did some really helpful um, kind of spiritual formation courses, and I entered into some coaching as well, which really helped. For me, I'm a different person to what I was a year ago because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. For me, I'll be really honest with you, one of the things I was struggling with, it's listed in Galatians 5, we'll look at it in more detail in a minute, I used to struggle with envy. I'm quite a competitive soul. And deep down in me, sometimes... If I was being really honest with you, I used to find it hard. If someone else was doing well, that pained me. I wouldn't show that to anyone. But I'd be like, oh, I find it hard. Because essentially, if they're going up, then maybe I'm going down. If someone's doing well at the front. Does that mean that when I do it to the front next time, that I've got to do even better? Am I going to be worse in comparison? Some of these things that the Holy Spirit was really kind of has highlighted with me, and... You know, and I'd love to, you know, the amazing thing is that God's really broken a lot of this stuff off. The word of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I celebrate that and I'm grateful for that. And, and that's the kind of stuff we want to celebrate as a people. So let's have a look at this passage. And let's see what it's really, what it's really getting at. A life of freedom is a fruitful life. So if we don't be people who bear fruit, the first thing we must do is that we must recognize that we are in a battle. We are in a battle. It's an internal battle. It's an internal battle that we go through, and it's every day. Each and every day we face this battle. Galatians 5, this is 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So this is the battle. We've got the flesh, and we've got the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit. Now the flesh when it says that word there, a lot of translations of the Bible just say that's the sinful nature. Flesh is just another word for another phrase for sinful nature. What do we mean by that? Well, flesh, or sinful nature, that's the aspects of our heart that have not been renewed by the Holy Spirit. They're the aspects of our heart that do not desire God, because they've not been renewed. Alternatively, what do we m- mean by the Spirit? That is the aspects of our hearts and our souls that have been renewed. The Holy Spirit has touched them. And they just inherently then just seek God. They desire God. That's what they, almost what they, what they pursue. It may be a helpful way to think of this, as I dwell on this, is we're not... Do you know, you know table football? You know, uh, what's your foosball, yeah? That's the right phrase, but table football. Yeah, I'm getting some blanklets. Everyone knows what table football is, right? Yeah, it's not that contemporary an example. Um, <laughs> I think it's been around for a while. Um, <laughs> foosball. We're not foosball players, okay? Sometimes it almost would be easier if we were, wouldn't it? Sometimes I'm like, ah. Oh. As in, God's not created us. Like, you know, He's created us to be free. He's created us. We've we've been given free will. We've we've got hearts and souls and minds. You know, we feel things, we think things, we desire things. Sometimes you think, oh, it would be so much easier if God just made me like one of those foosball players, just trying to put me on a rod. And I can only go this way, and I'm very solid. And he just, you know, you know the Bible talks about we're hemmed in by his love before and behind, but he doesn't control us. And we are free, we're free spirits. And so, therefore, because we're not controlled by God, we've been created to be free, then we have to face up to this battle. The battle, like I say, between flesh and between the spirit. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It sounds a lot like this. Paul wrote another letter, didn't he? Or he wrote many letters, but this is what he wrote to the church in Rome. This is um, chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. It's the same battle. It's the flesh and the sin versus the spirit. Now this, this word flesh or sinful nature is derived in the Greek from the word sarx. And what that basically means is that's the aspects of our heart that desire sin. Or another way to think of this is that if our heart is not desiring God, the parts of our heart that are not desiring God, what will they desire? In that void something will fill the place. If it's not God, it will be something else. And Sometimes what, what our hearts will, will pursue instead is something bad, something really obviously bad, something that's definitely not of God, something that on every level we would think is, is, a bad, is a bad idea or a bad thing, at a moral level, at an ethical level, a bad thing. But it's not always that. Sometimes our heart will fill that void by pursuing a good thing, but the issue then comes when that good thing becomes a god in itself because it becomes the thing and we make it a god. Or well, sometimes what happens is that our hearts will be pursue something just too much in excess. We become overly desiring of something. And then we crave it and we need it and that will actually then trap us. It will enslave us. And that's a loss of freedom. So that's what we... mean by the sinful nature. How does that work itself? Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. In some translations, by the way, that can also be debauchery. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's a very cheery list, isn't it? As I joke with Alice, I hope you find this funny, I read it and I just sort of Louis Theroux's back catalogue on iPlayer. (laughs) He's basically covered pretty much every one, (laughs) at least twice. (laughs) But in summary, what we see here, so verse 19, this is all about sexuality. Um, So this is all about essentially sexual relations outside of God's design, often excessive desires. Uh, Verse 20 is all about fake religion essentially worshipping the wrong God or gods. In verse 20 and 21, we see lots of things that basically wreck relationships. The whole list in there. We'll wreck families, we'll wreck friendships, we'll wreck workplaces, we'll wreck churches. And then verse 21 is all about addiction and abuse. It's important, by the way, just in case when it mentions orgies, there in that in biblical t- in context, there that, that is actually drunken orgies. That's not sexual orgies. Just in case anyone's interested, but that was point. But essentially, that last bit is all about kind of substance abuse, drunkenness, etc. It's interesting how some of these acts of the sinful nature would be traditionally categorised, often subconsciously, as those of the kind of, of, of irreligious people and religious people. So the irreligious ones would be the drinking or the sexual immorality. But the religious ones might be people, you know, we see it in, in Jesus' time with the Pharisees, of envy, of selfishness, of factions and divisions, dissensions. And then Tim Keller, who I'm indebted to for lots of thoughts on this talk, he comments that God does not see any one of these um, acts of this He doesn't see any one of them as worse or better than any other. But he does point out that it's easy for religious people, and perhaps we sit here today as religious people, to make a distinction that God does not make, which is that some of these are worse than others. The sins of the irreligious people are worse than the sins of the religious people. That's not how God sees it. And I think it's a really helpful reminder to make sure that we don't find it easier just to notice the sins of others as to face up to the the battle in our own lives. So that's one side of it. That's the sinful nature. That's this Sarks, like I say, this Greek word, sarx. This is one side of it, but that's not the end of the story. You'll be pleased to know there is an alternative. When we're looking at living free, there is an alternative. Because we don't have to settle for this. We don't have to be, just accept the sinful nature in our lives. We may be tempted to, but actually what we see here is that God calls us to a radically different and liberating alternative. So back into the passage, Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Sometimes it's just such a joy to read that, isn't it? It's like, oh, yes. I don't know, about, I don't, you might, I don't know if you're like me, I look at that and I'm like, yes. It's almost a sigh of relief as I read that. That's what I want. That's how I feel like I've been made. Made to be. We don't have to concede defeat. We don't have to just give in to this dross and the trouble. It's funny as well, isn't it? Sorry, this isn't my notes. But I have just been thinking so much as I've done, as I've prepared this speech about how right now, if you looked at our world, what's characterizing our world at the moment? When, I don't know, go on Twitter for 10 minutes. Not right now, but go on Twitter for 10 minutes or the news, or listen to the radio? What's characterizing our society at the moment? What's characterizing our, our politics, our leadership, international affairs? I'm not sure you'd say it's that. I think you'd say it's the stuff we talked about in the minute ago. And when you read the f- about the fruit of the Spirit, you're like, yes, that's what we need. That's what I need, that's what we need, that's what our world needs. Isn't it a joy that there is an alternative? I think we can take great encouragement from this image of, of fruit. And let me just work through f- four four themes that hopefully we'll, we'll find encouraging. So the first one is this. Most fruit grows gradually. Most fruit grows gradually. I'm not a great gardener, but apparently that's true. If, tell me if it's wrong at the end <laughs> so basically lots of things that grow, they grow gradually you don't see it, you don't see it. it's not eye-catching it's not explosive growth, often it's, it's hidden, but when it turns up it's there for everyone to see and this can be true in our own lives as we grow in the fruit of the spirit, you don't see it happening and then suddenly you realise it when you hit a period of trouble you realize it just suddenly a difficulty turns up and you're like, Wow, I wouldn't have reacted like that six months ago. I wouldn't have reacted like that two years ago. And you think, How's that happened? Well it must be God. It must be the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Cause otherwise I wouldn't be able to react like that. And also these these things that go, these are things that go beyond our, our personality. I think that's really important to say as well. Some people are, I don't know, naturally more calm or peaceful, or some people are naturally happier people, but actually like there's only, that's only to a certain level it's when these times of trouble and difficulty turn up, that's when the fruit of the spirit just emerges I was struck by um, bless them. I think it's, I haven't actually checked this, I think it's okay to share this um, you guys must so Rach and Dave Kemp who are our youth pastors uh, I think most of you would be aware, they've just had a terrible time the last few weeks, they've had this unbelievable thing where um, a, 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 a van hit their house and it's been a total nightmare, and they've had to move out. But they, Rach uh, shared the story with me where she said, like, her neighbor came up to her and said, do you know what? You almost made me want to be a Christian. Because if I've gone, th- gone through what you've gone through in the last few weeks, I don't know how you've done it. And she was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come and be a Christian then. But, um, but I love that because it was obviously just that fruit of the spirit moment where, like, in a time of massive adversity and, and shock and trauma, I guess, Joy and peace, etc., had just like broken out in Dave and Rachel's life. And it was just so tangible. It was so noticeable. But these things will grow gradually. Secondly, fruit grows in unison. They grow in unison. This is not lots of separate trees growing, this is one tree bearing lots of fruit. The fruits of the Spirit do not grow in isolation, one does not grow without the others growing as well. They are all one. It is not possible, for example, to grow in love, but not be growing in self-control. And it's interesting, when I look at that, I think sometimes it's, then it's easy to miss how much I need to grow. I can think, oh, I'm doing all right. right. I'm doing my tick list. My self-control is all right. I must be fine. It doesn't work like that. It's, you can miss the need to grow. It's also important not to confuse the fruit of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible also talks about the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and it can be you can think, oh yeah, fantastic! I must be doing okay because I don't know I'm operating in the prophetic, or even oh during worship time I really felt the Holy Spirit. I really you know I was I, I don't know I was shaking or I, I was on my knees or some people thought, you know the, the the Spirit manifests itself in lots of different ways. It happened earlier in this room, which was a beautiful thing to see when people encounter the Holy Spirit. But John Wimber, who who is was the founder of the Vineyard movement, we're you know Vineyard Church here today. I remember he used to say, I don't remember, but I've heard him say that, he used to say, but where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Which is, it's great to encounter the Holy Spirit, but actually the real evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not just the shaking and the time on a Sunday or wherever it is. The real fruit of the Spirit, the real evidence of the Spirit is our lives being changed over the months and years. That's, that's what it's about. And sometimes that can be a much harder mirror to put up to ourselves, on it? actually like, how am I growing? Am I, be, am I more free? Am I growing in the fruits of the Spirit? Not in the prophetic, not in leadership, whatever it is, whatever it you're, you feel called to. But actually, am I growing? Love, joy, patience, kindness, etc., etc. Okay, so number two, fruit grows in unison. Thirdly, fruit grows from the inside out. Do the apples on a tree make it alive? No. If you tied apples onto a dead tree, they wouldn't bring it to life. They wouldn't bring it to life. And they would not grow anymore. Fruit does not bring life. Fruit is a sign that something is alive. Let me just say that again. Fruit in itself does not bring life. Fruit is a sign that something is alive. So what is it that we're connected to? Who or what is our tree? Who or what is bringing us life? Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We can grow in our fruitfulness and therefore our freedom by belonging to Jesus. It's there in verse 24. We belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus is everything in this. In the the Gospel of John, he talks, there's an amazing passage in John 15 where he talks about being the true vine. He says, I am the true, it's one of his I am statements, I am the true vine. And he says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. For me, this is the best bit. Jesus is the best bit. He is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the bringer of life. Jesus makes us to live with him. Because without him, we'd be dead in our sin. We'd be stuck. That battle, we'd be stuck over here with the, with the sin, with the flesh. But we're not. Jesus, and Jesus is our model. He is our template that gives us hope. Jesus shows what it was. He was fully made of flesh and bones and yet fully alive in the spirit. He wasn't just full. He was full to overflow. He shows us all that we can be as humans. He was just full. He we know talked about fruits of the Spirit. Jesus was just fully alive with them. He showed it what it was for something of heaven to touch earth, which is a human full of the Spirit. Verse 24 again, let me just reread it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's made it possible. He went to the cross, bearing our sins, and he had our sinful nature, our flesh, our desires, the parts of our hearts that have not been renewed, they were nailed to the cross with him. And then he rose again. He won that battle. Our battle, that daily battle, that daily internal battle, It's been won, not by us, but by him. So that's why we abide with him. And the fruit will come. And then finally, fruit grows inevitably. Inevitably. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When we keep in step in the Spirit, we cannot help but be fruitful we cannot help but grow we cannot help but experience more freedom we cannot help but be changed 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 a verse that we've talked about a lot in the series already but it says now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there is freedom it's not that there might be freedom It's not that there can be freedom in Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Is. It's a certainty. I thought this was quite a helpful analogy. If you bury an acorn under a slab of marble, over time, which wins? I've not tested it out myself, but I'm reliably informed that actually, ultimately, the acorn wins. Because as it grows, eventually the marble will split and shatter. And obviously it comes through. That's the image of the Spirit of the Lord in our life. That our growth and our freedom, it's inevitable. If a person is filled with the Spirit, then the fruit will grow. It cannot not. Tim Keller says this. Hopefully this will come up behind me. To be led by the Spirit is to change and be changed. To be the people we want to be. The Spirit-fueled development of Christ-like character is liberating because it brings us closer to being the people we were designed to be. The people our Spirit-renewed hearts want us to be. So that's that's the promise of the Christian life. That's the promise of following Jesus. That's the promise of being filled with the Spirit. That it will happen, it will happen. That that battle we've talked about will be won. You will experience freedom, and you will bear fruit. I'd love to pray. You're right. If you're able to, you're right to stand. And we'll pray.